Coming up on This Week in Games, things are getting worse at AR Giant Magic League. Rumors of Microsoft's new console strategy surface again, and Tencent and Nintendo are launching a Chinese Switch much sooner than you think. Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and we have an abundance of news this week. So much so, we're just going to jump right in. No intro formalities needed. First up, the state of affairs at Magic Leap. So the information, which in my opinion is one of, if not the top tier Silicon Valley news outlets, wrote a feature summarizing the current state at Magic Leap. So Magic Leap originally had a goal of selling 1 million units of its AR headset in its first year, but currently sits at only 6,000 units sold, many of which were likely gifts or bought by developers who were bullish on the AR platform. Now, for those of you who don't know Magic Leap, I think it was 2012 released a trailer showing someone opening their hand, and there's like an elephant in their hand, and it looked amazing. Um, It kind of like set the Bay Area on fire, and then it fizzled out, magically went around and raised a ridiculous like $2.6 billion, um, $2.6 billion from giants like Google, Alibaba, the government of Saudi Arabia, and Andresine Horowitz. Okay, not dumb people, <laughs> you know. Um, but as of 2018, it's burning tens of millions of dollars per month, so much so that 2018, it was averaging 40 to $50 million burn rate per month, okay, per month. And even that amount of money of $2.6 billion in fundraising isn't enough to keep Magic Leap afloat, and Magic Leap is currently looking to raise a not-promising Series E of mostly convertible debt, as their equity isn't really worth much at this point. Now, the history of Magic Leap is truly amazing. I encourage everyone to go read the information article. It's kind of a lesson in not how to build a company or how to build a product, but how to craft a narrative and generate hype around a company and product, you know? And that's kind of what Magic Leap did. It raised an obscene amount of money. There's no way it could have ever paid back this money. I mean, its headset costs $2,300, and Magic Leap had the audacity to say it was going to be the first trillion-dollar IPO. You know, they were going to be everywhere. They were going to be the next platform after mobile. But that didn't happen, and uh, currently Magic Leap is tightening its spending belt, laying off employees, lowering cash burn rate. But we know the key product costs $2,300. Questions about like addressable audience size and eventual cost lowering have to come up. Like, who is this for? Magic Leap is on a trajectory to lose even more money and rack up debt that it likely won't be able to even cover kind of like the monthly spreads for it kind of brings up an important question with today's audience. And I see this a lot in entertainment, especially the video game industry more than other industries is is like, what are we building technology and products for? And so that's where we're at now is we have an abundance of entertainment. We have abundance of technology and there's so much more that could be built, but should it? And even if it should be built, should it be a $2.6 billion company? And so that's the real question is, what are we doing? Like this technology that Magic Leap was building was new and amazing and novel, but who is the audience? Like who out there is spending twenty three hundred dollars 
on a headset and who's making content for that audience that's spending $2,300 on a headset? How much does that content cost? How much are you going to engage with that content? As a user, if you pay $2,300 for a headset, let's even say the content is free, but like how long are you going to engage with something on Magic Leap? And what is that content that's going to replace your television, your Netflix, your gaming consoles? Because those things are competing with your time. And so we're at a point where like, Netflix famously said in the quarterly earnings that they're more worried about Fortnite than some of the other streaming services. And that's true, is everyone's competing with everyone's time. Everyone plays video games. Everyone watches streaming services. Everyone can do everything. We're not segmented as a like humanity anymore. And so when time is kind of the only commodity that matters, almost more than profits, is keeping people engaged in how much time are they spending with your product you have to really question things like an AR headset. And that's the thing is like, would the perfect VR AR headset actually ever make a splash? You know, we have supercomputers in our pockets for God's sakes. Does cloud gaming really change anything? Does anyone really want to play an engrossing, let's, let's say cloud gaming works perfectly. Does anyone actually want to play the last of us two on their cell phone on a busy, crowded, loud train on the way to work? Probably not. Like, there's games meant for those exact time points. And that's where things like cloud gaming, you know, you have to question it. Like, if cloud gaming is, you're playing cloud gaming, now you can have 50 supercomputers actually do the physics rendering for your game. That could make sense, right? Because the hardware costs for you to do that locally would be astronomical. If you're doing cloud gaming because you want to play you know, insert anything. You want to play the latest Call of Duty, not Call of Duty Mobile, but the latest console Call of Duty um, on your cell phone, you know, during your lunch hour. Again, I don't know. And that's kind of where we are with technology. It's interesting to see because it's like our ability as, you know, capitalism in general to produce technology is at an all time high. And now we're almost producing technology too good for consumers and so you know you can have different opinions on the long term of vr ar or the long term of cloud gaming or long term of anything but that's where we are and so it's just really interesting to see a company that you know you would ask me in 2012 i was like this this is going to be the next big thing and then 2.6 billion dollars later and we're in 2019 and it's like yeah it's very clear that this doesn't make any sense at all. And it's pretty interesting to see how we've gotten to this point. Yeah. All right. Enough doom and gloom on AR. Um, next up, rumors of Microsoft's two console next-gen strategy surface again. So Kotaku is reporting sources that are confirming that two consoles will launch in Q4 2020. One dub codenamed Anaconda, which is a traditional you know, step up incremental improvement on hardware console prowess. And the other is codenamed Lockhart, which will be a cheaper diskless console with more modest specs. So if you think about Anaconda, base will do 4K 60 frames a second. Microsoft is rumored to do up to 8K 120 frames a second. And then Lockhart won't even hit 4K. So that's the kind of discrepancy you'll see. However, the strategy behind Lockhart seems like it's leaning towards promoting Microsoft Game Pass, its subscription access of library games, including first-party day-one games, and Project X Cloud, Microsoft's cloud gaming service. So 
that's the only reason to buy Lockhart. You're not buying a $200 discless console because you want to play whatever XYZ pretty game on it. You're buying it because you want to play that game on it, but you're going to be streaming that game over Project X Cloud. So if the rumors are true, honestly, this will be one of the first console launches in recent memory that has two vastly different spec consoles outside of raw hard drive space. So we've seen PlayStation launch, you know, you can get this PlayStation with this hard drive space and this one with this. Um, but these are vastly different consoles. However, I think Microsoft may be rethinking this strategy, seeing the lack of enthusiasm for Google Stadia. Stadia, from kind of my perspective and my neck of the woods, is showing that the first major offering of cloud gaming doesn't really have a core audience. So you'd have to think Microsoft with a much more intelligent internal strategy team, a year runway, and you know a 50-foot view of Google's failure is willing to either pivot its strategy or lean or learn from Google's mistakes and kind of correct them. So we'll we'll have to see. I mean, obviously E3 will probably be the the big uh, let's answer all the questions situation, but um, we'll have to see what happens because I I can't imagine Microsoft in its raw form right now is looking at Stadia and saying that's a good idea. So. They, they're probably thinking about how to correct some of those uh, mistakes that Google made. All right, another console news. Nintendo and Tencent have set a launch date for the Switch in China, and it's in two days. So December 10th will be the first day the Switch launches officially in China. Only one game is currently approved for launch. Remember, the Chinese government has a kind of administration wing that has to regulate and approve actual games for launch. And that game is New Super Mario Bros. U, and the title is currently bundled with the console. But further approvals will come down the line for Nintendo games, and Tencent plans on having their own internal studios produce content for Chinese Switch owners to fill in the software portfolio gaps. Pretty interesting. Um, it will be pretty also interesting to see what Tencent and the Switch can do in China. Most expect a massive failure due to China's dominance on mobile and PC gaming, and basically China doesn't have a history of adapting to console launches. You know, I think a couple of other companies have tried to launch consoles through Chinese third-party companies. Never worked. China just doesn't really have, I guess, like the history and culture of having consoles, and so they're so used to PC gaming and now mobile gaming that telling them to drop three or four hundred dollars on a piece of hardware that they plug in their tv maybe doesn't make sense for that audience but we'll see i mean if 10 cents behind it obviously they believe in it they have very good number crunchers they must see that there is an upside nintendo obviously would be happy to succeed in china even through 10 cents so yeah we'll have to see all right <laughs> Now, now that I've squashed all of the future of AR, <laughs> the next news story is Pokemon Go developer Niantic and chipmaker powerhouse Qualcomm have announced they're working together on AR glasses. <sighs> okay, um, so no solid news announced outside of the initial partnership and the goal, but this makes total actual sense. So even though I've just shat on Magic Loop forever... Niantic kind of has to do this. Niantic's last big kind of game investment was a massive flop, the Harry Potter AR game. Um, Ingress's relaunch wasn't successful. I don't know a single person who watched the Ingress Netflix show. And Niantic has been fundraising and acquire companies over the last few years. They've been trying to create APIs. They've been trying to create their own platform, their own set of software and services for AR publishing 
They have a partnership program now. It's very clear they wish to become a technology company and not particularly a game developer company. And so this is a kind of a move into that space. So they think if they can nail the AR glasses issue, that they can then become the AI, the software, and the game engine for those AR glasses. Qualcomm, on the other hand, is looking to expand its business like it always is. And it probably, if I had to guess, wants to compete with Apple, a company which it was tied up in expensive litigations for years and years, as Apple was rumored to be working on AR glasses of their own, Qualcomm would like to give them the proverbial middle finger, I guess. Makes sense. And a much bigger announcement than is getting covered for, Epic Games Store now allows developers to implement their own payment services and not share revenue with Epic. Okay, this is a really big story. It's not getting a bunch of press because, I don't know, I, I guess it isn't like that sexy of a title, isn't that relatable of an issue, but it's a big story. In a policy update, Epic now lets developers utilize their own payment systems, and if they do so, they do not split revenue with Epic. Traditionally, digital stores, whether it be Steam, iOS, App Store, or Google Play, require you to split revenue on digital purchases when in your game. And this is whether you use their own payment program or not. Um, so to bypass this, some, some you can't bypass it at all. Others, like Epic did, you have to uh, offer your game on a third-party channel to get it on Android to bypass this revenue sharing Epic is now breaking that trend. And so I'm really curious to see a few things. First off, how many developers opt into this? How many of them work out their own payment system or partner with, I don't know, a company like PayPal or Square or something else? How many um, new developers does Epic Game Store attract because of this? Like, uh, there's a, probably a lot of developers, including massive publishers like EA, who'll say, screw it, I'll, I'll throw my games up on Epic Game Store if I get to keep all the revenue from in-app purchases. Thanks. <laughs> and then also, what are other digital stores going to do in reaction to this announcement? I assume nothing in the beginning, but if Epic Game Store starts, like, again, like, um, like creating an environment where you see, like, EA, Ubisoft, and other companies who have their own digital stores, like Origin and uh, Ubisoft Play, if you see them releasing an Epic Game Store, because, hey, they don't have to split IEP revenue with Epic now, you, you might see Steam, you might see a few other games, digital game stores take notice, and this could potentially be a big and helpful fight against the one launcher for every game issue that PC gamers have seen in recent years. So what you're seeing now in PC gaming is once a game becomes big enough, uh, they just create their own game launcher because why go through Steam or Epic where you're giving up, you know, 30% or 12% for Epic of your revenue to the digital store owner. So this could kind of solve that issue and re-aggregate all these games under one digital store. Very, very, very interesting. I know it's not a big like snappy title like the title of our next story, which is Valve Swallows Another Big Project as Firewatch developers Campo Sampo claim that they now, at Valve, have abandoned the Valley of Gods and the game is on hold indefinitely because they went on to work on other projects. So, in an interview with Polygon, Campo Santo co-founder Jake Rodkin said that the team split and joined other projects once inside Valve, leaving their second game on hold indefinitely with no return in sight. Um, so, no kind of like spiritual sequel to Firewatch. To me, this is 
A real organizational issue with flax structures and employee freedom, the shiny objects or politically backed games will get more resources while others, maybe more important projects, are ignored. It's hard to fill out like a, a vast portfolio of games when everyone has financial or kind of like ego incentives to go work on specific projects. And Valve has an army of top-notch developers. I interviewed there. I made it to the last round of the last day of inter whatever it was i failed however i will say valve has arguably employee for employee maybe the smartest set of employees of any developer out there but frankly it doesn't output the amount of content equivalent to that <laughs> you know if like they should be releasing at least a triple a game every year with the talent that they have and or at least like some new like games as a service some new esport they should be doing a lot more than they're doing, and it, this story kind of highlights why they're not. And so, I don't know. It, it's very interesting to me because I don't have an answer for them, and I don't necessarily think like strict hierarchies is the way to go. However, this this also isn't the way to go. All right, next up. This, this was almost out of nowhere. Top streamer Dr. Disrespect gets a scripted series greenlit by Skybound Entertainment. So, wow, congrats to Dr. Disrespect. Um, this is a unique avenue for streamers to branch on beyond Twitch, and it's exciting to see opportunities that were given to kind of like YouTubers five to ten years ago are now given to game streamers. Although I personally don't watch Twitch streams outside of FGC tournaments, it's really great to know our industry is now producing personalities generating this level of following. Congrats again pretty interesting i think regardless of what you think of doctor just is that his name doctor disrespect doctor no respect i don't know see I don't, I don't even know i just know he wears sunglasses and has a crazy mustache even if you don't think this person or streamer is the best or whatever your opinion on is on them i think we should all encourage this and just see where it goes because this could again bring the industry more into limelight um bring more audiences in and kind of just if someone's doing good i think we're all doing good that's that's my new thought for the industry and not to be left out of the party netties becomes the latest company to join the cloud gaming party netties will go to beta with 38 mobile games expects to expand to pc games soon netties has formed a partnership with chinese telecom and hardware powerhouse huawei to host the cloud gaming on 4g with plans to upgrade to 5g in the near future Netties will join their domestic rivals Tencent along with Google, Microsoft, Sony, EA, and Rumor and Amazon to offer cloud gaming platforms. The next five years will be interesting in cloud gaming. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm worried now after Stadia's launch that, you know, it's going to go the way of VR. But, it, you know, there could be hiccups sorted out. They could figure it out. Um, it could replace consoles as well. We'll have to see. Cloud gaming's open, you know. It, the future is wildly open. Whoever, anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen with cloud gaming doesn't have a clue. It's just a crystal ball, rolling eight balls, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to call it. Like everyone's just making it up and it's just crazy because it's like anything could happen with this technology. All right, another out of left field announcement. Riot announces a publishing label dubbed Riot Forge to publish League of Legends games from third-party developers. So Riot Forge will provide developers with QA, localization, voiceovers, research, marketing, 
and it's already working with its first third-party developer that will announce a game at the Game Awards later on. Interesting. Um, the issue with League of Legends is the property isn't compelling outside of a handful of memorable heroes. So, what is League of Legend? What world does League of Legends take place in? What are the politics, races, fashions, religions of that world? What are the characters? What are those characters' aspirations? What are their likes and dislikes? You know, outside of scantily clad champions and K-pop music videos, I can't remember much personality from League of Legends characters, unless that personality is like super generic and shallow. Like, I'm a punker, and I'm a skateboarder and i'm a princess and i'm a big scary monster you know it's like so shallow it's not really enough in my opinion to warrant a brand creation from a third-party publishing label like you you have like a handful of characters that are well liked for their aesthetics whether those aesthetics be like attractiveness or cuteness um maybe a few characters that people think look badass, but everything's very like aesthetic based and the personality and lore and other things in League of Legends aren't there. Maybe they're trying to solve that with this Riot Forge, but me right now as a developer, like what what is the benefit of me giving Riot most of the power and revenue from a game that I'm making if I skin it with League of Legends and then if I take a shot at creating my own IP? And so that's what you have to ask yourself as a developer. I guess we'll wait and see. And the final news of the week, Ragnarok Games, the publisher behind Rune 2, is suing developer Human Head Studios over not producing source code and assets so they claim are missing. So the follow-up the story from a couple of weeks ago, Human Head Studios shut down and immediately reopened under a new name with a new publisher, abandoning Rune 2, the game they were working on, and its publisher, Ragnarok Games. Ragnarok Games said it found out about the move when the press did and was completely shocked. Honestly, this is one of the weirder stories in recent history, and I think that everyone that read the original report assumed that a lawsuit was coming, so not surprising. All right, Whew, that was a lot of news. So we have five business news stories to wrap up the week. I'll fly through them pretty fast, and that'll be it. First up, Star Citizen, the largest public funding of a game in history, has announced it reached $250 million in crowdfunding, $9 million in November 2019 alone. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to cover the rest of the story, but I, I really want people to sit back and think about this. Star Citizen has been in development for eight years. Longer than almost any game, right? What games were in development like eight years? It has a budget that is now past the development budget of almost every AAA game in history, okay? Again, AAA games, when you see that they have like $500 million allocated in them, Maybe 150, maybe 200 million is the budget. A lot of it's marketing and other ancillary costs. Again, this is over 250 million in crowdfunding for this one game. It's been in development longer than most AAA games, as a budget larger than every AAA game in history. Yet the developers say that they're like just scratching the surface and there's a lot of work to be done. What are you doing, people? People fundraising this game should demand a financial breakdown of how money was spent and on what it was spent. I feel like at this point you're funding the lifestyle of employees at Cloud Imperium. I'm not saying like the regular day workers, but someone is taking this $250 million and someone is funneling this somewhere. This doesn't make any sense, people. If Red Dead Redemption 2 takes seven years to make, and $200 million, you know that there's like thousands of employees working on this tirelessly, you know? 
And when Star Citizen has been in development eight years and you don't really see like a fully complete product and they have a budget of $250 million, you really have to ask yourself like, what the hell is this? Where's this money going? Like truly, where's this money going? What is it being spent on? I'm worried. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you guys. Like this doesn't, this doesn't even pass the sniff test. So I don't know what's going to happen. I predict maybe like five years, we're going to get like a tell all of what happened over there and it's going to be crazy. So <laughs> that's my opinion. All right, next up, Wildlife Studio raises kind of an astonishing $60 million in a Series A. So Sao Paulo, Brazil-based Wildlife Studio finishes its fundraising round led by Benchmark Capital to grow its team and kickstart new products. Now, Wildlife Studio has launched over 60 games since its inception in 2011, and it's currently known for Zumba, a zoo battle arena game. Sounds actually really interesting. And Tennis Clash, which I assume is Golf Clash, but... With tennis, I mean, what else, what else could it be? I don't know. Pretty impressive fundraising round. The company's been around for like eight or nine years at this point. They're killing it. Good job, guys. Good job. Next up, Congregate acquires browser-based battle royale game Survive.io or Survivio, however you want to pronounce it. I don't. I frankly don't know. Following their acquisition of BitHeroes, Congregate and its parent company, the Modern Times Group, promises uh, Survivio the first of to be the first of many upcoming acquisitions. It's always interesting to see operators in these niche places kind of make moves. Congregate seems to know exactly where the opportunities are that other publishers on mobile and web would ignore, and they go after it. And they never really get too greedy. They kind of stay in their lane and slowly grow. And it's a pretty interesting company, you know? Like, you you see them take risks, like with their platform cartridge, and sure, they don't succeed sometimes, but... They're always looking at opportunities like this, like Bit Heroes, this Survivio game, and I assume I, they always produce a profit when they do these acquisitions. So you kind of have to tip your hat to them. They've been around forever, and they're still going at it. So good job, Congregate. All right, next up, Moscow-based Alcat Games, known for uh, kind of like uh, Pathfinder games and Pathfinder-related stuff, raises $1 million to... Well, make another Pathfinder game. So Alcat Games, a former subsidy of Russian internet giant Mel.ru's gaming wing My.Games, kind of confusing, wants to continue the Pathfinder train and raise their capital from Jim Capital and My.Games investment arm. I'm going to say if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Pathfinder has a massive, massive fan base, so it makes sense all around. All right, last story of the week. XR Games, which I assume stands for mixed reality games raises 1.5 million dollars in a venture round leads based xr games completes its second fundraising round led by pratura ventures it is looking to expand its studios license vr and ar capabilities uh, I, I looked into it i think it definitely makes sense like licensed vr and ar made on margin sensitive budgets makes kind of sense i i really think what it is is these companies get paid by whether it's, you know, like a movie studio releasing a big high budget action movie or something else. And they make these like kind of like marquee digital advertising games that are m more about advertising and marketing campaigns than they are about actually making money off the raw games. And then you see these games set up in like demo stations everywhere. I saw one with 
Game of Thrones and HBO not too long ago. And so kind of makes sense. Um, that's a good place for VR and AR. It's still a spectacle. It's still a novel thing. And so make money off that spectacle and novelty by having these kind of like license companies pay you to make m marketing materials, basically. So good job, XR Games. All right, that's it. Big week over. Um, there's a lot to cover. I rambled through it all. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave me a comment and let me know how I'm doing. Give me five stars, please. You can give me whatever stars you want. I don't care. <laughs> um, and that's it. I'm Eric McConnell. That's it for this week in games. I'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye.